You're listening to True Stories Told Live. Welcome to Speakeasy, where our tellers get on stage with their whole, authentic, beautifully human selves and speak their experience. No notes, just the memory of a life lived. On our stage, you'll hear humor, hope, embarrassment, disappointment, grief, lust, anger, love, remembrance, the whole brilliant and nuanced spectrum of what it is to live as individuals in community with others. Here at Speakeasy, our incredibly gracious audience holds all of it, sighing together, laughing together, crying together, and cheering our hearts out together. There's a symbiotic thing we've got going here between our tellers and our listeners, where each person creates that sacred space that just unflinchingly holds each other's stories, where we bear bits of our souls and bear witness. Join us the first Thursday of every month in Columbus, Ohio, at 7 p.m., where we gather at Wild Goose Creative, nestled in amongst the gallery's newest art exhibit. With a simple theme as inspiration, 10 tellers sign up, brave up, step up in front of a microphone, and get honest. What you're about to hear is one of those stories. Um, yeah, so I'm going to tell you a story about my father, all right? My father was a, a paradox, you know? He was uh, a really well-loved asshole, you know? <laughs> He was prone to having uh, just, uh, just a really volatile temper where he would throw stuff and punch walls and, and, and I don't know, just the top of his head would blow off or something. And then, but people didn't seem to hate him for it, which is surprising. They actually really, really liked him, um, which was also surprising. And he was very social. We'd always have people over to the house for cocktail parties and um, you know, soccer games, which is, I think, what people used to do before Ultimate and Pickleball or whatever, when you were a grown-up and you wanted to, like, go run around. Um, yeah, and, um, and so it was always a bit of a mystery how he, how he achieved this, but I think it was just his, his personal charisma and the fact that I think when most people saw him having the top of his head explode, they kind of looked at it like a toddler um, having no, no um, what did you call it, executive function control, um, <laughs> but also no malice. Um, another paradox was he, was he was always giving stuff to, well, to my sister and to me, and, but it was never anything I wanted. Um, so it was, he was, I don't know how to put it, but he and my mom had this philosophy that kids were too bratty nowadays, and part of the brattiness stemmed from kids being allowed to ask for things. And, and if you never let your kids ask for things, then you're never going to be that parent whose kids are always asking them for things. But consequently, all the things he gave me I didn't want because he didn't know what I wanted because I wasn't allowed to ask for things. So, I mean, in the scheme of all the problems in the world, it's not that bad. But let me just describe... I don't know. So I, me- I remember better the things that I got maybe in the last 20 years than, than the kid things. But, um, like... This one time I was living in Canada and he sent this box that was like, I don't know, the size of a refrigerator that contained all of his old snowboarding gear because he had decided he was too old to snowboard anymore. And, uh, and we're sorting through this and there's like socks, like new socks, old socks, 
like 15 different balaclavas, um, snowboards, brackets, snowboards from like the dawn of time. Um, I tried to use this snowboard. It was a wooden snowboard, first of all, and had been drilled so many times that, that my last run on it, the bracket just pulled clean out of the board and couldn't be redrilled. Um, luckily, there was a dude in Canada that I knew who um, collected vintage snowboards, and he was so happy. He gave me a free bicycle. Um, so that, he sent me boxes full of polo shirts. So I guess he's a bit of a... <laughs> He was a bit of a compulsive spender, and I guess his way of, oh, well, if I just give all this stuff to my kids, then I can, then it's okay. And so it would be like a box of like 30 polo shirts, all size small, okay? And you know, like old ones where the collars were kind of stiff and crunchy, and you're like, hmm, I don't know, even, I can't even imagine what to do with this. I have no children who would either wear it or fit it. I could fit it, but I won't, I won't wear it. Um, he sent boxes full of computer equipment because he was always an early adopter of everything. And then, of course, that always left a giant pile of leftovers. So we would get boxes and boxes of old computer gear. I'm like, I don't even know what these things are. Like, and I'm not, I'm not like a Luddite. Like, I'm pretty up on things. So, yeah. So, I mean, these are the kinds of things, the kinds of gifts he would give. So, um, <laughs> unexpected, but maybe not a kindness, right? Um, and, but then I do think sometimes he would give things that I, I didn't, I don't know, I wouldn't have thought I wanted, but maybe I did. I just remember this one time I came home from school when I was maybe in like fourth grade and uh, my stuffed animal, um, kind of beat up stuffed animal, I think it's dog, well I called it yellow dog, it might have been a bear, I'm not really sure. Um, but he would make things for it sometimes. So like it was wearing a, um, an undershirt, like a baby undershirt in which somebody had, had drawn like a super Superman symbol that said yellow dog on it. Um, I didn't do that. My mom didn't do that. He must have just looked at it and thought that's what it needed. Uh, another time I came home and yellow dog was propped up on the banister wearing a small crown and scepter made of tin foil. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that, I didn't know I needed that. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, um, so, you know, there's that, that part of the paradox. The other kind of paradox was just, you know, at a certain point my parents divorced and it was, it was for the best, you know. Um, they probably were ill-suited to each other from the beginning. Um, and he just, just didn't really have that much contact with us afterwards. We would see him on the weekends, but then when we weren't legally required to go there anymore, he was just difficult to deal with and we wouldn't, you know, see him that much. And um, I don't know, so, but it was, I don't know how to put this, but like, he was a difficult person, and I'm wondering if, if maybe, I don't know, like, let me put this another way. I was kind of walking around the house, so, oh, yes, the premise of this. He, sorry, I'm gonna bum you out. Okay, be prepared to be bummed out, okay. So he, he died yesterday morning. Um, so I was kind of walking around the house thinking like, what kind of things, like, I don't know, my grandparents died, I kind of got really, you know, started to think I want to just have something they had given me, or you know what I mean, something associated with them, just carry in my pocket for the day, you know? Does anyone do that, or am I weird? Yeah, okay. And I was just, like, walking around the house, this is why I was thinking of all the things he gave me, because I'm like, I didn't really want any of, I, there wasn't a damn thing in my house he gave me that I wanted, honestly. And so I'm looking at all the objects, and they just weren't particularly resonating with me in any way. Um, all the things that I had, I was like, 
that's the thing you gave me, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, but then, you know, and my, I told my kids that he had died, and they're both kind of looking at me like, waiting for some... I don't think they ever really fully understood my relationship with him, as you probably don't either. It just doesn't make any sense, right? And I was just kind of trying to think about what that relationship had given me, you know, and what, whether there's anything more ephemeral that I had gotten out of that. I mean, there's kind of negative stuff, like, I mean, I, I learned that you can love somebody and not trust them, you know? And I found that kind of good guidance for when I went to find my own partner, like, because he was there, but kind of not there, I, I don't think I grew up with daddy issues where I was constantly looking for some daddy somewhere. I don't know, do people really do that or is that like a TV thing? Is that? <laughs> okay, I mean, that must be a real thing, right? I, I actually, I know people who are with someone and I'm like, ooh, he's kind of her dad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know I don't have daddy issues because every once in a while I'll kind of um, end up working with like a mentor who's an older man and, and I'll be like, oh, that, that's kind of nice. I can kind of see why people would like this, but I'm not like out looking for that in my life. Um, yeah, and so, like, I, I know, my whole life I've known I've had, a, I have a, or I had, I had a dad, or had up until yesterday, who loved me very much, but wasn't very present in my life, but it's kind of a bit of a freedom, too. He wasn't in my business telling me I wasn't doing things correctly or shaping what I should do. Um, so, I mean, it was kind of a gift in terms of the freedom that he gave me to live my life knowing there was somebody out there who is, I mean, well, unconditionally loving me, but also probably wouldn't necessarily help me if I needed any help or anything, but, but just the idea, which, you know, it's much better if you have someone like that in your life if they're a little bit out of remove, you know, so that you can just know there's someone out there who loves you. If they're in your face all the time and then you're like, oh, you're not doing the thing, right? But it's easier if they're, so, yeah. So I don't know, so I guess, I don't know. The other, <laughs> I don't know if y'all want to like learn about any evolutionary biology or anything, but um, <laughs> I'm an evolutionary biologist, and I will tell you the final paradox. So when I teach evolution, there's this uh, weird phenomenon called what is it called? The, the miraculous one hoss shay. Okay, and so this is <laughs> a shay is like a little carriage thing that you know. Okay. And, um, and, and the idea behind this is like, there's an Oliver Wendell Holmes poem in which he wrote about this shay that nothing on it breaks in, in, for 100 years. And in 100 years, all of the parts break at the same time, okay? And so this is kind of the, the part, part of a kind of a medical paradox where you would expect that if evolution worked in an optimal way, human beings would all live until they were done living and then everything on them would break simultaneously and they would die quickly without any lag and you know what I mean they wouldn't they wouldn't be lose their minds first and they wouldn't lose their bodies first and it would just be an explosive uh, you know immolation of the organ systems um, <laughs> and but really what happens which you, this part you really don't care about, is that evolution has optimized the, the, the kind of uh, relationship between the benefits and costs of each organ failure so that you actually have different organs that are predicted to fail at different rates from each other, which is why you don't have this kind of thing where you know, we all just explode when we turn 100. Um, yeah, but I guess the final paradox is, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I talked to my dad the last time on Monday and he, he had broken his leg and was in the hospital and 
Granted, I mean, he's old, he wasn't in great shape, and death was imminent regardless of anything else because of oldness, but um, yeah. But then, like just in the last two days, he was like the, whatever, the miraculous one Hashe, and all of his organ systems went at the same time, and he just died very quickly in the hospital. And I kind of think that that's the, that's, to me, that's also his final paradox. So, ta-da. 